You know, it's funny, but when the conversation of greatest trilogies of all time comes up, obviously we're going to mention the goat of all goats, the Star Wars trilogy. We're going to mention Lord of the Rings. You're going to mention The Godfather, all three films nominated for Best Picture, two of them actually won Best Picture. There can be some discussions about, you know, the the original Indiana Jones trilogy culminating in The Last Crusade. Let's just pretend that, you know, Nuclear Monkey in the Fire Deserts of Shia LaBeouf doesn't exist, but uh, whatever, it is what it is. There's a lot of different things. Toy Story, Rob, the first three Toy Stories films you could consider amongst the greatest trilogies of all time. But the one that I bring up sometimes, and by the way, our friend Ryan Ramirez sends in a couple Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that, man. Um, one that comes up that makes people look oddly at me, number one, because there's only been two of the films so far. But I've always said if a third one comes out and it's on par with the other two, legitimately, without any facetiousness, I am telling you this deserves to be in the conversation of a top five, the possibility of being in the top five trilogies of all time. And that is Paddington. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Rob, I I know you weren't with us yet at the time, but I remember when the first Paddington came out, we saw the trailers and it eh, looked harmless enough. And I remember Schnepp and I decided to go to the press event for it. And we thought, ah, it's probably not going to be all that good, but whatever, let's go see it. So Schnepp and I went to the press event and we both watched the screening and we came out of the screening looking at each other and go, that was fucking awesome, which is, yeah. which is weird to say about Paddington, but it's like that, that was fucking awesome. And then the second movie came out and it's every bit of perfection as the first one it is charming and endearing and heartwarming it makes your whole soul smile it's just a beautiful beautiful film and i know that sounds weird talking about a damn paddington movie but i don't care i will fight you on this i will fight you over paddington these movies are bloody brilliant they're fantastic And so we were waiting for a long time to find out if they were actually going to do one. News came out recently that they were going to try to do a third one. But, you know, you never know with these things. But now today, uh, news has come out. This comes to us from Deadline, who's reporting that Paddington 3 is indeed going to begin filming in early 2022. Uh, They say this Paddington three is set to begin shooting in October uh, or or quarter two of 2022 Uh, studio canal announced Tuesday during the cons film festival, the anticipated threequel, which will have a story by Paddington one and two collaborators, collaborators, Paul King, Simon Farnaby and Mark Burton and screenplay by Burton, John Foster and James Lamont will be one will be one of the company's flagship movies in the coming years as it looks to invest over $1 billion in content between now and 2024. So that comes to us from Deadline. And by the way, Black Bono Lala sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, Again, I understand the strange looks, Rob, that I get from people when I mention if a third Paddington movie gets made and if it is on par with the first two, I am telling you it deserves to be in at least a conversation about the top five trilogies of all time. Maybe it makes it in, maybe it doesn't, but it deserves to be in that conversation. And people look at me funny and I get it. I get it. We're talking about a stupid movie about a stupid stuffed bear that walks around and talks. La la la. I get it. I understand. But I am telling you, put all that garbage aside and watch the damn movies because they're damn good. They're really good. And Rob, I'm not going to lie to you. It is ridiculous how excited I am about a third movie about a stupid, idiotic, walking around little bear. 
I can't believe it, but I am. I'm ridiculously, ludicrously excited about this thing. Anyway, probably more than most people, Rob, probably more than you. But what do you think about this news about them? Finally, they're, it's now official. They're going to roll cameras in the second quarter of next year. What are you thinking? Well, you know, I've heard that uh, the third movie culminates in a, a battle of wills in the ring between Ted and Paddington. <laughs> I'd be down for that. By the way, that's not true. Just, you know, people are, don't run with that. But, uh, I, you know, the Paddington movies, I've actually seen them. They are delightful. Uh, and I, why wouldn't you make another one? You know, I mean, it goes to show you that, uh, you, you know, adapting source material and, and, and doing it correctly and having people that really understand what, what the movie or what a movie is supposed to be. Uh, there's no reason why we can't see more movies of the of this quality because they are they're really delightful because why? Because the focus is on first character and then story. And that's why it's so they they've done such a great job. It's it's funny because it's one of those we always go on around here, Rob, about the fact that movies are experiential events. And I'll never forget walking out of the second movie with Anne. We came out of the out of screening the second movie when the second one came out. And she said, she just looked around and she said, you know, a movie is really special when you walk out of the theater and the world just looks like a more beautiful place. I'm like that. That's why I married this woman. I said, that is one of the most profound things that says something about how special a movie is when you walk out of the theater and you look around and the world just looks like a more beautiful place because of the movie you just saw. That's what Paddington does as ridiculous as it sounds. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this news that they're going to get moving now? They, it's official. They're going to start rolling cameras next year. I'm super excited for it. Maybe you're still thinking, John, we're talking about a movie about a walking, talking bear. Can you give me a break? I, I get it. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, John, we begin today with some very sad news, and I don't think anyone who follows this show doesn't know this already, but Caleb writes in and says, well, Richard Donner passed away. Not only was he the father of the modern superhero cinema, but also the author of other classics like The Goonies, Scrooged, Lethal Weapon. How would you describe Donner's impact on the cinematic and pop culture zeitgeist? Well, John, uh, even though it's not on my IMDb, I worked as the producer's assistant on Free Willy. Oh, wow. And Free Willy was executive produced by the Donners, um, by Lauren Schuler Donner, who I worked for in the office. And then, of course, I was in and out of Richard Donner's office for every day for months. And he was, I mean, I can't tell you what an amazing guy he was. Very personable, loud, boisterous, funny. And of course he delivered, you know, he started out in television and actually his first movie X 15, I think he made in the early sixties, but he directed episodes of everything from Gilligan's Island yep. to the wild, wild west to the banana splits. 
I mean, the guy really, unlike now, directors make features and then they go into TV. But Richard Donner, he cut his teeth directing every kind of genre of television show there was. He directed five Twilight Zone episodes, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with the great William Shatner in it. Uh, and he had a really long, very prolific career. And I think one of the things about Richard Donner that was so amazing was he could effortlessly jump from a horror movie like The Omen to comedies like Scrooged to epic superhero fare like Superman the movie. And then, of course, action, which the first Lethal Weapon was a really dark action thriller that became an action comedy series. Uh, and then if you've ever seen a movie that was on HBO Max a while ago called Inside Moves, which is an incredible character study and a drama, he was really a journeyman director, could do it all. And he, I think he really made populist cinema. And he, you know, he's not going to be ever considered Stanley Kubrick, maybe. But he was a guy that always provided, his films are always good to great, and they were always entertaining. And so much of our childhood, in so many seminal movies, I mean, when I was a kid, The Omen, Superman the movie, uh, these were, in the 70s, these were two of the biggest, you know, movies ever. Uh, Deadline comes back and says, uh, Dick had such a powerful command of his movies and was so gifted across so many genres, Steven Spielberg said in a statement today on hearing of Donner's death. I mean, obviously they worked together on things like the Goonies. Being in his circle was akin to hanging out with your favorite coach, your smartest professor, your fiercest motivator, your most endearing friend, your staunchest ally, and of course, of course, the greatest Goonie of all. He was all kid, all heart, all the time. I can't believe he's gone, but his husky, hearty laugh will stay with me always. I completely agree with everything that was just said there. And, you know, he was just for, for what God, he went from the late fifties in television all the way. His last movie was 2006 with 16 blocks with Bruce Willis, uh, which I think is a criminally underrated movie and conspiracy theory, which he also made with, with, he teamed up again with, with Mel Gibson after, after Maverick and lethal weapon is also a movie that gets more relevant as the years go by. I don't know, John, what do you think? Are you a big Richard Donner fan? I mean, when you talk about filmmakers that helped shape your childhood, yeah. I mean, it's it's put Superman aside for a second. We'll we'll come back to Superman. But put that aside for a second. Dude, Goonies for life. I I mean, the, he he made things like that. I mean, so this is the same guy. And you know, Rob, one of the things that I value most about good directors who could is are directors who can make different kinds of movies. You know. Yep. And so he can make Lethal Weapon, and make Goonies, and I think the most tragically underrated of his films, Lady Hawk, with Rudger Hauer, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, uh, War Games boy, uh, what what what's his name? Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick, as well with that like '80s synth music and stuff like that. I mean, this was a guy whose films really did help shape and form our imaginations. And our our childhood memories and our love for storytelling, and then you go back to the one that, of course, understandably, most people will remember him for, which is Superman. We take it for granted today that superhero movies come out and superhero movies are all the rage and all that kind of stuff. But back in that day, when that first Superman movie came out, there there were not superhero movies, Rob, and it was impossible to do them. 
And the big ad campaign was, you will believe a man can fly. And maybe it's a little laughable to us now when we see the effects and stuff like that in Superman. But at that time, they were so awe-inspiringly dumbfounding that people just couldn't get enough of it and they couldn't stop talking about it. And, and it really formed a spiritual basis for what later would become the Renaissance and, and the new golden age of comic book movies kind of built on the foundations laid by those early movies like Tim Burton's Michael Keaton's Batman and of course his Superman. And of course the stories that go on about Superman two and the Donner cut and what have you. And of course, lethal weapon. And there was talk recently that they were going to do another lethal weapon which I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. I never really wanted them to do another one, but I would have given it a chance. I would have given it a chance if they came out with it. I really don't think Gibson or Donald Glover have any, Donald Glover, Danny Glover, um, have any interest in probably doing that now without Richard Donner. But it, it really is one of the greats, one of the most formative directors out there, probably one of the most influential and, and Rob, that quote that you read from Spielberg, when you get, in my opinion, the goat of filmmakers, Steven Spielberg coming out and speaking so heartfelt like that, you know, the type of impact that this filmmaker made. So I think I speak for both Rob and myself when I say, guys, if you've never watched, I know there's a lot of you who've probably never watched the original Superman or who've probably never watched Goonies yet because it's an older film or things like Lady Hawk or Lethal Weapon or stuff like that, do yourself a favor this week and give yourself a little bit of a Donner Fest and go back and watch those films and then see how those movies really laid the groundwork and influenced a lot of our favorite movies today. It's uh, it's kind of incredible. So yeah, the passing of Richard Donner, uh, really sad to hear about it, but man, what a career, what an influence and what an impact he made uh, on our world. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about Richard Donner? And what do you think about hearing about his passing? What's the movie for you that jumps out to you that had the biggest impact on you? Whatever one it is, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill, who writes... Greetings, John and Rob. Black Widow director Kate Shortland recently did an interview with Deadline saying two interesting things. Firstly, hinting at a potential Black Widow sequel and that the movie could open with 80 to $90 million domestic box office. My question is, what do you think the chances of these two things happening? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And yeah, listen, there are a couple things to note here about that interview. The first thing to note is that let's talk about this one first was the fact that she was saying there's a possibility this thing could maybe get, I don't know, something in the neighborhood of, um, let's say, how much did she say? 80 to $90 million. Well, she's not wrong about that, actually. She's actually completely right about that. As a matter of fact, the official box office projections are projecting Exactly that somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to $90 million opening, which would be profound because it would mean it would replace fast nine as the new biggest opening since star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, like the biggest opening in the post pandemic era. Now F nine set a very high bar, all things considered with like a $70 million opening. 
Can Black Widow accomplish that? Absolutely it can. Even with it being with their ridiculous Disney Plus pay us $30 premium charge to sit and just watch it at home on your ass. That's fine. It still looks like it's going to make $80 to $90 million, which would be completely impressive in and of itself. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who writes, this is the director, Shortland, talking about it playing on uh, Disney Plus and what she thought about it playing on Disney Plus. And I love her answer here. She says, well, we made this film to be seen in cinemas. And it's not so much seen, it's not so much seen in cinemas, it's felt in cinemas because we created the sound and the music and just the huge, beautiful spectacle that was to be seen on a big screen. So as a director, I want people, if they're safe, to see it in that environment. But I know some people can't for a lot of different reasons, pandemic and also a lot of other reasons as well. So it's really cool that other people will still get to see the movie. I, I appreciate her answering that, but I also love her forthrightness as a director saying, look, we made this movie specifically to be seen on the big screen. And obviously she's kind of bummed out about the Disney plus decision, but Hey, she understands there's certain situations and contexts in the world right now. I get that. Now in talking about a sequel, they asked her directly, do you think we could see a sequel to this? Now, I know not everybody has seen this movie. Uh, it hasn't come out yet officially. I have seen it. But still, you guys know the context of Black Widow and what's gone on with Black Widow in the MCU. And you know where she is right now in terms of the MCU. She's dead. Anyway, but they asked her this question. Do you think there will ever be a sequel to Black Widow? To which the director said, I think these girls have a lot of asses still to kick. I think the girls still have a lot of asses to kick. Now, look, you don't have to have seen the movie, Rob, to know that Black Widow has to be alive by the end of the movie because she's alive in Infinity War. And you all know that by the end of Endgame, she's dead. So for the director to say that, it it, it makes me wonder, did she just say something she's not supposed to say? Did they just lay the groundwork that they have plans for Scarlet? Johansson to come back because she didn't just say I think this girl talking about the sister Pew uh, playing Yelena she says I think these girls still have a lot of asses to kick so I don't know maybe she just spilled the beans a little bit that Feige's planning on but but Rob this is the Marvel Cinematic fake death universe of course nobody stays dead so we just kind of assume they're all coming back anyway Rob what do you think about these two well, actually, three things that she's saying. Number one, her desire as a director to see her film on the big screen. Number two, the fact that she believes this movie will break the 80 to $90 million on opening weekend, which would be a very, very impressive feat today. And number three, her saying that she believes there's a possibility we could get a Black Widow sequel, seemingly suggesting that Scarlett Johansson could be a part of it. Anyway, Rob, you hear all these things. What do you make of it? I think they're all true. You know, I mean, I think that uh, it, obviously it will depend on the performance of the movie, but I even saw Kevin Feige on the red carpet, uh, Ash Croson. Is that who, how do you pronounce the last name? She was interviewing Feige for about five minutes and asked about that. And he was particularly tight lipped about the idea of doing a, a, a sequel. Obviously it was Scarlett Johansson who brought in the director. Uh, they had a really great opportunity to make that movie. She was a producer on it. And look, <laughs> if the movie does well, Hey, why not get paid? Tell one more story in that time frame. I mean, it would be really interesting to see where that where that franchise could go. I would love to see what happened between Black Widow. I don't know if they deal with this in the movie, but when Hawkeye became Ronan, 
during the snap. I think there's a really interesting story there to, t- to tell what happened between Black Widow and Hawkeye. But if the movie does well, why not make a sequel? I think it is going to make $100 million. I think a lot of people are excited to see it. Uh, it looks, you know, I've heard pretty good things about it. There's been some people, there's been some dissenters, but for the most part, I think it's probably going to be pretty good. And I think they could make a sequel to it. Why not? Um, uh, it would be a win-win-win all around for everybody, I think, if you know, if people like the film. So, hey, why not? Why yeah, not, John? I, I, I liked it. I mean, I don't think it's top shelf MCU. I don't think it's like like I don't think it's uh, Winter Soldier. I don't think it's the original Avengers. I don't think it's top top shelf of MCU. But it's good. My biggest problem with it was I didn't think the villain was all that great. Like uh, the Taskmaster villain and the Ray Winstone villain really weren't anything to write home about. I I thought they were a little bit of a waste. But the strengths of the film seemed to overcome that for me. I particularly love David Harbor in this. I loved David Harbour and this is Red Guardian. I really, really did. So overall, I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Now, if you had told me a a while ago that a Black Widow would open to more than a Fast and the Furious movie, I would have said no way. But I mean, it looks like that might be the case. Do you think they could do a sequel? Are you interested in this film? Whatever it is you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number three. Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, it comes from PJT. Hi, John and Rob. I don't know how to feel about this, but Hugh Jackman has uploaded to his Instagram stories a photo of him with Kevin Feige along with a photo of Wolverine from Boss Logic. Do you think this is like a prelude to an official announcement of Hugh Jackman not only coming back to the role that made him his career, but also to being a part of the MCU? Okay. The answer to this question is no, and I'll (laughs) tell you why. Who was it that produced X-Men, the first X-Men? It was Richard Donner. Who who gave, uh, uh, in in the entertainment business, who gave Kevin Feige his first unpaid job and his first paid job in the film business, Richard Donner. I think that was a picture because Hugh Jackman and Kevin Feige have known each other for a very long time. If it wasn't for Richard Donner, remember, Lauren Shuler Donner acquired the rights to X-Men. They were owned by the Donner Company, and there wouldn't be an X-Men movie if it wasn't for Richard Donner and Lauren Shuler Donner, who executive produced the first X-Men while Kevin Feige was working on it. So I think that picture, along with Boss Logic's um, artwork, was uh, a tribute to Richard Donner. And um, Screen Rant says, in Jackman's recent Instagram story, the actor seemingly teased that he may return as Wolverine. I didn't see it as that at all. Two images involving Marvel appeared in his Instagram story, including a piece of fan art from Boss Logic and another of Jackman with Kevin Feige. Uh, Look, hey, I could be wrong. Anything's possible. But uh, I, I, I think it was really a tribute to uh, the character of Wolverine, who's endured now. People have loved Wolverine for now 21 years. The character of Wolverine that Hugh Jackman created is old enough to drink. And that was really a testament <laughs> to Richard Donner and Lauren Schuler Donner. And, of course, Kevin Feige, who, who was part of Richard Donner's company. So I think that's what that was all about. But then again, John. If they announced that he was coming back as Wolverine tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised. Not in this day and age. Yeah. But I, now, don't think it's, I don't think that's that's what those posts were about at all. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, I, I noticed there are some people screaming in, in the, like it means something, screaming in the uh, chat board, but he posted these pictures before Donner died. No, he posted the pictures before the word officially came out to the public that Donner had died. Yeah. Uh, it is very possible understanding the connection, especially Hugh Jackman has with, uh, with, uh, with Laura Schooner Donner that Jackman and probably a number of people who might have personally known him knew before they made a public announcement. He was very ill. Yeah, and he was for a little bit. He was for a little bit. So yes, you, those of you who are yelling and screaming that he th that these posts were put up before Donner died, I would say, yes, they were posted before it became public knowledge and they officially released the information that he had died. It is very possible, maybe even likely, that people like Hugh Jackman would have known before the public knew and put these images up. I will say, I will say, there's two other angles to look at it here, though. Number one is that, look, on its surface, it certainly looks suspect. He he posts a picture that Boss Logic does of the Wolverine Claws and then very quickly posts a picture of him and Kevin Feige. Are you a monumental idiot for thinking this could possibly be Hugh Jackman hinting at his return as Wolverine? No, no, I, I, I no, I don't think that's the dumbest thing in the world to assume. I really don't. I think it is actually, I'll go so far as to say, Rob, I think it is mildly reasonable for you to at least suspect that there could be something here of Jackman hinting at something. Not ironclad, but if, if you were one of those people who said, you know what, I, this is eyebrow raising. This could mean something. I don't think you're off in left field. I, I think that's reasonable. However... However, I would also caution everybody to remember this. Rob, do you remember before it was in between Deadpool 1 and Deadpool 2? Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, aside from their fake feud thing, which is one of the best things ever on the internet, but do you remember they posting like a lot of things? Like, remember there was a there was that Hugh Jackman post he put up of him in his hotel room and he panned his camera around and there was Ryan Reynolds in his in his hotel bed dressed as Deadpool. And they did a whole bunch of posts, and a lot of people, me included, me included, started saying, Well, obviously Hugh Jackman is going to be in Deadpool too. Obviously, Hugh Jackman is going to make uh, an appearance in Deadpool 2. It was obvious, wasn't it? Everybody wanted Hugh Jackman in Deadpool 2. They started putting out all these social media posts with them together, with Ryan Reynolds in the Deadpool costume. So it was obvious, right? Hugh Jackman was going to be in Deadpool 2. Well, guess what? He wasn't. We were all wrong. We were all wrong. So now... Here comes Hugh Jackman again, and he's putting up these pictures with a Wolverine claw and Kevin Feige. There's another important thing here, Rob, that nobody's talking about, and that is this. Hugh Jackman is almost 53 years old now. Yeah. Now, he is still in incredible shape, but one of the reasons he said he was very excited to move on from the Wolverine character was he was done with the four-hour-a-day workouts. He was done. He was over it. He didn't want to do it anymore. He'd put in his time, and now he's 53. So to get back into that kind of shape, he can do it. I have no doubt that a Hugh Jackman can do it. 
I just doubt his desire to do it. I, I don't think he has any desire to go back to four and a half hour workouts a day, getting on the phone with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and getting his, you know, eat four pounds of raw chicken breast a day sort of diet. I don't think he wants to do it at all. So, Rob, I think there is definitely a possibility that you're right about this, that this was him posting an early tribute to the passing of Donner. Um, as well as there is also the possibility there's just coincidence. It's also a possibility that like the Deadpool 2 thing, he's just kind of messing with everybody. Yeah. But I am also not, and maybe, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice while well, I'm an idiot. I, I, I do believe there is a chance. There is a possibility, however unlikely, that maybe, just maybe, this is Hugh Jackman hinting at something, but I just wouldn't put any money on it right now. And and look, I'm certainly not saying, Rob, that at 53, Hugh Jackman can't do it, but I, that is something I think you need to consider. Rob, if I had to ask you to make an argument that this does mean this is Hugh Jackman hinting that he'd be coming back as Wolverine, what would you say is the strongest argument for that particular position on that? That he's coming back? Well... I, I mean, I could see, look, the one thing I could, uh, if I was in charge of the MCU and I was going to, I was going to bring in Wolverine to the MCU, obviously, uh, <laughs> the X-Men in, in the, in the Fox universe, I mean, they, they dropped a, a stadium around the white house. So it couldn't be the Wolverine from our, from that universe. You know, he would have to be either an alternate universe version of the character or some such thing, because there's no way canonically the X-Men from the Fox universe can exist in the MCU. There's just no way. Not after destroying Egypt and Apocalypse. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's not like and it's not like mutants aren't very well known in um in like Dark Phoenix and all that. It's just you can't however. I could see something like a la the way, and I hate to, I hate to use this. Uh, I've, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm about to say this, but the same way that JJ Abrams used Leonard Nimoy as Spock in his oh, right. yeah. line versions that, that with alternate universes and the multiverse, uh, Wolverine, the, the Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, older statesman, like Wolverine, um, might come into the MCU saying, look, I'm, I'm from an alternate universe and um, uh, I know what's up with the X-Men and I, I'm here to help. You By know, the way, something like that. There, there is another, there is another angle to this that, that we haven't been talking about. And Chris Mitch in the live chat brought it up and I'm glad that he did, which is, you know, there's also a possibility that maybe Hugh Jackman is coming to the MCU, but not as Wolverine. That's right. a that's a total possibility. That's something that's yes. on the possibility stage. I mean, look, look at Chris Evans. He played another Marvel character in another studio's version of the Fantastic Four, and yet he's in the MCU as Captain America. There is nothing to say that that couldn't happen as well. Again, though, I think I personally think the most likely scenario here, Rob, is the one that you painted perfectly. This was Hugh Jackman kind of putting out a tribute 
to the passing of uh, of Donner before it became public knowledge. Of course, him and Kevin Feige both worked for Donner at different points. Him and Kevin Feige, to a degree, both owe Donner kind of the careers that they've had. And so that would make the most sense. Again, I'm still saying it's not impossible. It could be him hinting at being in Wolverine. But again, I go back to the Deadpool 2 situation that he seemed to heavily hint that he was going to be in that. And of course, he wasn't. Add on top of that, now he's 53. I don't think he has any desire to get in that kind of shape again. Maybe he's coming to the MCU as a different character. There are a lot of things on the table and a lot of possibilities. The question is for you guys, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more over the coming weeks. What do you think is the most likely scenario here? Was this just... Hugh Jackman posting a fitting and touching tribute about him and, and another big guy in the entertainment industry who both owe their careers to Donner and putting that up. Do you think maybe it means something else? Were you fooled by the Deadpool 2 stuff just like I was fooled? I don't know. What do you guys think this is getting at? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today, and buckle up, guys, our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Steve Calderon, who writes, Stephen Dork, oh, I'm sorry, I mispronounced that, Dorf, Stephen Dorf called Black Widow a bad video game and expresses embarrassment for Scarlett Johansson and other people involved in the movie. It's fine if Dorf doesn't want to be in those types of movies. That's his choice. However, do you think it's wrong for him to trash the movie publicly, which sounds like he didn't even see it, and also Johansson or anyone's choice to star in this movie? All right. Thanks a lot for sending this in, man. Now, listen, for those of you who may not, for those of you who may not know, <laughs> I, I love this quote that Ray gave me here. I like getting the best villain award. I thought that was funny. For those of you who don't know, Stephen Dorff is, of course, most of you will probably remember him as playing Deacon Frost in the first Blade movie, which, by the way, I really liked him in that role. I really liked him in that. And I, I had a chance to meet and hang out with Stephen Dorff uh, just for a little bit uh, once at the uh, Immortals premiere. Of course, he had a small role in Immortals. And I got a chance to, to meet and chat with him at the premiere for that. And very cool guy. I mean, you know, for as short of a time I had talking to him, seemed like a, a pretty cool guy. So he was just asked. I, I don't know how it came about. He was being interviewed by The Independent. And the topic came up about Black Widow. And he decided to say some things. Now, before we get into his quote here, let me put this out there. You guys know I have no problem with actors or directors who say, ah, we really don't like comic book movies. I have no problem with that. Whether it's, um, oh, what's the actress's name who was the little girl in uh, Taxi Driver? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Whether, you know, Jodie Foster made some comments before. It's like, ah, I don't really like those movies. They're not for me, blah, blah, blah. I personally have no problem with an actor saying that. I don't even really have big problems with Marty Scorsese saying, ah, I don't really consider comic book movies cinema. They're, they're, they're great spectacle and blah, blah. Like, I, that's fine. If you like those types of movies, that's fine. If they're not for you, that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. Where I start to have a problem with things is where actors who work in this industry with other actors who are in this industry and filmmakers who are in this industry, 
I take issue whenever an actor decides it's his or her place to come out and cast a whole lot of shade at other, you know, actors or directors for the art itself. And specifically when actors like Stephen fucking moron Dorf decides that he's going to cast shade, not only the filmmakers, but indirectly blatantly insult anybody who is a fan of that material. This is what Stephen fucking idiot Dorf said in his, that came out of his fucking idiot mouth that he could have fucking, should have fucking kept shut. This is what he said. I still hunt out the good shit because I don't want to be in Black Widow like any fucking buddy was offering him a role in Black Widow. Like anybody, like Kevin Feige, oh, Steven Dorf, I can't do this movie without you. How can this industry survive without you, you fucking piece of shit? And he says, no, Kevin Feige, I'm holding out for the good shit. The good shit, Steven Dorf? Like your little film, Sex Guaranteed? And Rob was reminding me, didn't you do a movie with fucking Uva Bowl? Oh, but you're holding out for the good shit, you lying piece of shit. Anyway... Then he goes on to say, so let's, let's read that first part again. I still hunt out the good shit because I don't want to be in Black Widow. The true detective actor told the newspaper, it looks like garbage to me. It looks like a bad video game. I'm embarrassed for those people. I am embarrassed for Scarlett Johansson. Oh, Scarlett Johansson, two-time Academy Award nominee? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure she's fucking crying in her bed right now because you fucking nobody had that shit to say. Anyway, it looks like a bad view of the game. I'm embarrassed for those people. I'm embarrassed for Scarlett. I'm sure she got paid five, seven million bucks, but I'm embarrassed for her. You know, not like him being in a Nuva Bowl movie. No, heaven forbid. His, his impeccable, untouchable... Uh, reputation. I'm embarrassed for her. I don't want to be in those movies like anybody is fucking offering him those movies. I really don't. I'll find that I'll find that kid director that's going to be the next Stanley Kubrick and I'll act for him instead. Oh, really? Really? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that stupid fucking idiot goes, yeah, no, no. I, uh, I, I don't know who's one of the hottest actresses in the world. I don't know. Let's let's say Scarlett Johansson says, "No, no, no, man. I, I I wouldn't date Scarlett Johansson. No way." Yeah, as if she's some, as if she's calling you, offering to date you. Okay, look. Again, I have no problem. I have no problem. If Stephen Dorff came out and somebody said, "Hey, what do you think about the the looks of this Black Widow?" And if he were to say, "Listen, I personally really don't like the comic book movies. They're not for me." And not being, I only really want to be in things that, you know, kind of interest me. And since comic book movies don't interest me, it's not for me. I would have zero problem with that, Rob. I know there were probably some people um, that would have a problem with that because they're very defensive about the, their comic book movies. I, but I honestly would have no problem. If you were to say, listen, I, I don't like comic book movies, man. They're not my cup of tea. So I probably wouldn't, you know, be interested in appearing in those. No problem. But when you start opening your idiot mouth of your C-list nobody ass and start saying, oh, this looks like garbage. He hasn't even seen it. This looks like garbage. And just the fact that this guy, Rob, who's in an Uva Bowl movie has the audacity to say, I'm holding out for the good shit. The fact that he has the audacity to say, I'm holding out for the good shit. By the way, you were in fucking Blade. Oh, I don't want to do those kinds of movies. You were in Blade, and it's the only thing you've ever done that anybody gives a shit about in your stupid fucking career. 
It's the only thing anybody cares about was one of those movies. And so he blatantly, directly insults the filmmakers who make it for a movie he hasn't even seen. How, what do you think? How, how's the director of Black Widow feeling about this? Sitting back, seeing this actor in the industry who I fucking hope never works a fucking day again in this business. The director sitting at home and seeing this fucking moron get on saying, Puh, you're in that lady's movie? That's a fucking embarrassment. Scarlett Johansson should be embarrassed. And indirectly by saying that, he is saying to you and me, he's embarrassed for us that we would like these movies. Now, you don't have to love all of them. Not everybody's going to love Black Widow. Not everybody's going to love Endgame. Not everybody's going to love The Flash. Not every- That's fine. No problem with that. But he is basically saying that you're a fucking joke if you like those movies, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember this movie, this moment, I should say, that Stephen Dorff, who can't get his ass cast in anything relevant, who is holding out for the good shit, I want you to remember the next time he does somehow manage to land a role in something that's not a nicotine replacement commercial, which, by the way, is the biggest thing he's done in his career in the last 15 years. I want you to remember the next time he pops up in something that he has said to you, he's embarrassed about you, that you would like those movies, that you would have anything to do. With. He's embarrassed. You're a joke to Stephen Dorff. And I want you to remember, again, I take zero issue. And by the way, RM sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RM. I take zero issue, none whatsoever, of any actor, including irrelevant fucking Dorff, who decides to come out and say, look, these movies aren't for me. They don't work. That's that's honest. There's nothing wrong with that. I get that. But to just flat out come out with your nobody fucking irrelevant ass and start casting shade at these filmmakers, these actors, and these fans. And if I'm sounding like I'm taking this a little bit personally, I am. Because I'm sorry, <laughs> Dorf, that I'm sub, I'm below you because I enjoy these types of movies. Oh, God forbid. Boo-hoo. I guess I'm going to have to go to bed tonight knowing that I'm not on the good list of Stephen Irrelevant Fucking Nobody Dorf. <laughs> and I, I just don't understand what, what thought process is going through this idiot's mind when he's thinking, this is a smart thing for me to say right now, you fucking moron. Anyway, Rob, uh, you've had a chance to hear uh, Stephen Dorf's comments. Uh, what do you make of them? Man, do I love uh, Campy a rant. <laughs> Man, uh, I you know, I think it's in poor taste, to be honest. Uh, and I, I'm like, uh, first of all, like you said, the guy has done, he, he was in Blade. He's done some really great indie film work. I particularly liked him when he played Phil Joano's avatar in a movie called uh, Entropy, where he basically played the director. Um, he's done some great work, but I, I feel that, you know, what I, what I really don't like is this attitude like a movie like Black Widow is somehow trash, that it does not take uh, an incredible amount of work to make a, an accomplished, first of all, action-adventure, comic book-based movie that fits in the 24th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that this is somehow easy work. And and that the, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, now everyone takes it for granted because it's been around for... 13 years and so oh we're all jaded now but it's unprecedented in cinema history and there's a lot of thought and planning and work and filmmaking and craft 
that has gone into this movie. Not to mention, Scarlett Johansson brought this director in to make the film. It was her idea. And that was a big risk. You know, she had to, as a, she's an executive producer, she had to take, she had to take responsibility. She brought the director in. Now you think about that. After all these movies that have been made and all the money is at stake, Scarlett Johansson put her money where her mouth is to bring in this director. Kevin Feige gives her full credit for that, did on the red carpet for the movie. And this idea that somehow a Black Widow film is lesser than any of the other movies that Steven Dorff or anybody has been involved in. You, you know, look, Stanley Kubrick's my favorite director. I would aspire to his work. Uh, anything, in, you know, even when I do with something like Tango Shalom, I'm trying to channel Kubrick, as silly as that might seem. And I understand where, where Stephen Dorff is coming from, but there's no need to impugn or malign uh, great work that's being done. You know, save your ire for people that are actually destroying franchises and doing things that are are not as good as they should be. But the Marvel Cinematic Universe has delivered nothing but tro- top drawer entertainment, and they are striving the, the the brass ring that they're grasping at every time they make a movie. The bar is very very high, probably the highest for any franchise ever in the history of Hollywood. And I I think any of us certainly watching this show or anybody would be happy to be involved in something like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. So that is not the place to put your ire. And to go after someone like Scarlett Johansson, who has done some incredible indie work, you know, uh, under the skin. She didn't have to do that movie. That's a crazy, wacky, beautifully cinematic science fiction film that defines indie cinema. She came out of doing things like Ghost World. I mean, Scarlett Johansson is a lifer in this business, and she's proven herself time and time again. She's the last person anybody should be going after publicly. And in this movie, as an executive producer, she took a risk and brought in the director. How many people would Steven Dorff do that? I mean, I know it's a Marvel movie, Steven, but would you stake your reputation with Marvel? on, a, on an, a director that's never worked for them before, that took, dare I say it, balls. And she did it because she knew. And that in itself, why don't you, if, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna come out publicly and say something, why not come out and say how amazing it is that Scarlett Johansson put her creative uh, ability and her status at Marvel on the line for this director and apparently came out on top. When, wait, would you ever risk that? And if you if you aren't going to risk that, why why go after somebody who would? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. And again, I just want to read this one more time. I still hunt out the good shit because I don't want to be in Black Widow because you know I need to make room on my mantle for the five other Oscars that I'm going to have to go with the six I have now. The true uh, detective actually told the uh, newspaper. It looks like garbage to me. It looks like bad video game. I'm embarrassed for those people. I'm embarrassed for Scarlett. I'm sure she got paid five to seven million bucks, but I'm embarrassed for her. I don't want to be in those movies. I really don't. I'll find that kid director that's going to be the next Stanley Kubrick, and I'll act for him instead. I just, again, I want everybody who is a film fan, I want everybody who enjoys these types of movies, I want you to remember that Steven Dorff hates you. I just want you to remember that. He thinks you're a joke. If you enjoy those movies, he's embarrassed about you and he is embarrassed for you because if he's embarrassed about those movies at all, if he's embarrassed about Scarlett Johansson, if he's embarrassed for the people making those films, that means by extension, he's embarrassed for you if you like those types of films. And I just want everybody to remember that because I don't know how we're going to sleep at night knowing that Santa Dorf doesn't have us on his good list. So, and look, I, 
again, I'm just, the guy is talking like he means something and I'm sorry, but if you do a live stream and I do a live stream and I get more viewers than you do, you're in no position to talk. (laughs) You're in no position to talk, Stephen Dorff, because fucking John Campia, the fucking nobody from Canada in his fucking garage who just spews stupid, dumb shit has probably more followers than you do. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Anyway, because I'm a fucking nobody. Who are you? Anyway, sorry. This just pisses me off when guys like, hey, you know what, Rob, you know what makes it particularly hurtful? Here's what makes it particularly hurtful. It makes it particularly hurtful, and maybe it shouldn't at all. Not the fact that just I identify as a fan of these movies and this actor comes out and insults all of us, but this is a guy I liked. This is a guy I liked. That's what makes it hurtful. Like, if I always thought this guy was a piece of shit, then maybe it wouldn't bother me as much, but I liked him. And so that makes it a little bit hurtful. Anyway, makes it makes it a little personal. Makes it personal. Anyway, guys, the question is for you, as I, you know, calm down a bit here. What do you think of Stephen Dorff's comments? Again, let me be very clear. I have no problem if somebody does or doesn't like comic book movies. That's cool. Just say, you know what? They're not for me. I don't, I don't really like them. I don't think they work, so I don't really want to be in them. That's fine. But to use the type of language this guy just used, I think is absolutely out of out of line. Anyway, guys, what do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on to main topic number five. And our fifth main topic today gets submitted to us by LBM, who writes, Hello, John and crew. So F9 has now become the first movie in the pandemic to pass 500 million worldwide since the rise of Skywalker in 2019. Do you think the movie business is officially back now uh, uh, that a movie has made half a billion dollars? Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, despite the fact that I am not a fan of F9 and Rob, I know you're not a fan of it either. Despite I wanted to be. Yeah, we both did. I mean, we both are fans of this franchise. We like this franchise very much, but not a fan of it. Despite that, both of us and I think all of us have had a lot of high hopes that Fast 9 could be that breakout movie that really helps kickstart the box office to get back on its feet and start rolling again. No pun intended. And sure enough, it opened up to like $70 million, which maybe in a non-pandemic world, we'd look at that and think, well, I su- maybe that's okay. But listen, in a pandemic world where things are just getting up and on their feet again, I thought $70 million, despite the fact that I didn't like the movie, $70 million was a fantastic result for it. And it has now passed $500 million worldwide, the highest grossing film since The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, which it was a long time ago now. So that says something. Now, on the negative side, Fast 9 took an almost 70% drop from weekend one to weekend two. Uh, it, it dropped down and made somewhere around the neighborhood of $22 million. Actually, let's go over and take a look at the box office results this weekend. Coming in at number one, the Fast Saga, F9, the Fast Saga, made another $22.8 million. Again, I think it was like a 67 or 68% drop. You never want to see over a 60% drop, but that's what it is. I think bad word of mouth got out about it, but still, it's made over $500 million worldwide. Boss Baby had a little bit of a disappointing result, making $16 million, but honestly, I didn't know anybody who was excited about Boss Baby 2, so maybe that's to be expected. In third place is The Forever Purge, 
Purge at $12.5 million. Rob, I think this is important to keep in mind about that Forever Purge. The last Purge movie, without a pandemic, opened to $17 million. For this one to come out, again, one I haven't heard anybody buzzing about, in this, you know, still in the tail end of the pandemic, to make $12.5 million, that ain't bad. Considering yeah. the last one without a pandemic made... Uh, just made 17. So that's not a bad result. A Quiet Place Part 2 made another $4 million. By the way, it's still the number one domestic box office film at $141 million in the domestic box office alone, which is still ahead of the Fast 9 project by about $30 million. Although I expect at Fast 9 that we'll eventually catch up to it. And then coming out in fifth place is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard making $3 million. And again, that one didn't have a lot of great word of mouth and it's been out for a few weeks now. But Rob, it is. There are two things about this that I find are pretty exciting. Number one, that we are, I think we're taking for granted the fact that we are now having a weekend comes and new movies are dropping. It's been a long time since we've had that on a regular basis. So that's exciting. Number two, while these numbers are clearly not back to pre-pandemic numbers, it for me is great to see that we've got three films in the double digits that's the, that's the first time this has happened in a while. The fact that we do have a film crossing the $500 million mark worldwide. The fact that A Quiet Place 2 has quietly chugged along and made an impressive amount of money. The fact that something like even like a, a smaller film like A Forever Purge is actually not doing all that bad for all things considered. Rob, I look at this these types of results and I got to say, I think it's pretty encouraging. And despite the fact that I'm not a fan of Fast 9, I think a lot of this has to do with thanks to Fast 9 to getting that thing kickstarted, to getting people excited about going back to the theaters, even if they don't want to come back and watch it again, apparently. But, I mean, I think this is good stuff. And if, Rob, I'll say this, if Black Widow, now they were projecting around $80 million, but if Black Widow can hit 100, if Black Widow can hit 100 million opening weekend, I'll say this, I think it will partially have to owe thanks to Fast 9 for breaking the seal and getting a lot of people back to the movies for the first time in a long time. And I think if we see can see Black Widow go just beyond that 80, 90 and actually hit $100 million, I believe that will in part be thanks to Fast 9 being able to do what it did and getting a lot of people out to the theaters, having a good time, whether they liked or didn't like the movie, but they had a good time. And then next week, this other one, or a couple weeks later, this one comes out. They want to go see that Black Widow. So I'm going to say, if Black Widow can crack 100, it's partially due to the success of Fast 9. Anyway, Rob, you look at these numbers. Fast 9 cracks half a billion dollars worldwide. That's great to see. What's your assessment of this whole situation? Well, I, you know, I think we're on, we're on, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. Um, I'm hoping, you know, it's it's worrying around the world to see how, how, uh, people are not getting vaxxed and there's areas where people aren't. And I look, I completely understand people's concerns about it, but almost everyone, the cases that are ha happening now and the people that are, that are dying are almost all unvaccinated people. So I hope it continues on the trend that we can see ourselves coming out of this thing. But I think it's, I think it's really good. I think it's good for the business. I mean, look, we report on the business of film. We both make films. We want our business to be robust and healthy. And what, what, Despite the success streaming services have, we've always talked about on this show that what gives a movie its value is a successful theatrical run. Say what you want, 
but going into the theater still has a level of prestige and that's where a film can get real success that's where it be, it's cemented in the in the pop culture zeitgeist this movie went out theatrically and it made money and and that's the kind of thing as it moves into its streaming run or let's hope physical media and whatever uh, that theatrical success still means something and seeing our, our theaters reopening. Cause remember John, we've always talked about on the show. It's not just the movie theaters. It's everything that supports movie theaters. It's candy manufacturers and soda manufacturers and the people that work at the theaters and the parking structures that you pay when you go to the theater and the malls that surround or the stores that surround movie theaters. I mean, movie theaters are, are, are like a heart that pumps a lot of different businesses and puts a lot of people to work. So it's not just Hollywood. It's all the support businesses that are all benefiting from this. And I think it's a, I think it's a really great thing. And I really like to see this happening. I think that a lot of people deserve it and it's exciting and it's good for the business. And I, I want to see movies healthy and happy because I want to make more myself. So I think this is a win <laughs> all the way around. I agree. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Like, regardless of what you think about F9, the fact is it's crossed a half a billion dollars. That's good for the business. That's good for other movies. We're seeing other movies making in the double digits. First time we're seeing this in a long time. It's a positive sign. How much, if any, effect do you think that's going to have on Black Widow opening next weekend? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's now move over and start taking your live comments or questions. Once again, if you want to get in a live comment or question on the show, and by the way, I almost forgot that our friend, where did he go? I, I, I missed out on it there for a second. Our friend K Major sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, K Major. Appreciate that, man, very much. All right, guys, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, simply go into the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on that there. You're supporting the channel, but you also get to submit a comment or question for the show if it's appropriate for the show, or you could enter it in manually simply at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And again, all of us who are here involved with the John K. Bish Show, thank you guys very much for your support of the work that we do all right with that down let's get over and start taking those live questions and we're going to start things off here with frankie goose who writes off the wall theory the reason we have not seen mutants vampires etc in the mcu is that the tva have pruned all of them and are waiting around in their own little limbos when the tva comes crashing down they will be released may change past history it's an interesting theory frankie but again i disagree because that would rob that would make it that would be something that Kevin Feige never does. Make it so in order to understand this major thing that's going to be coming in the movies, you have to have seen something else previously. Like you have to have Disney Plus and you have to have seen Loki in order to understand this entire new huge branch of the MCU with mutants coming in. I, I mean, I like the way you're thinking, Frankie, but I just don't see that happening. Rob, what do you think about that? I don't, I, you know, I don't either. I don't see it happening that way either. I, I, it's a really interesting question, how they're going to bring mutants into the MCU. It's the billion-dollar uh, question. It's the everything question right now. I, I think, I honestly believe that the way they're going to handle it, like they're handling the Eternals, is that mutants are already there. We just haven't seen them because they're not on the world stage yet. They've, they've been in hiding because they're afraid, and rightfully so. And I think that their emergence into the MCU is going to be uh, pretty amazing. But we're going to find out. I mean, look. We found out that we didn't know like Hydra was around <laughs> and then we found out they were and they were hiding in plain sight. 
you know, and, and when they introduce, I mean, we're just so used to mutants being on the world stage because they were certainly in the Fox Marvel universe, but there's no reason to think that they haven't already been around. They're just not, they're in hiding. And I think that's how they're probably going to play it. You know, I disagree with you on that. I don't because I because all it takes is one 13 year old kid whose powers are manifesting in the middle of a city block and something happens and the news crews would be all over it. Like, I, I, I don't know, but they might. I mean, I don't. Uh, here's the problem. I'm one of these assholes who says, I don't think your theory can work. And you say, do you have a better theory, smart mouth? And I say, nope, I don't have a better theory. I don't have a better one. So yours is as good as better than anyone I'm coming up with right now. All right, let's move on here. Next up. TV Avatar writes, Episode 4 Loki spoilers. Sylvie being a female is not a variant slash nexus event. They made a point of telling us that Loki is gender fluid. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if Loki is gender fluid or not. The fact is, how did Loki uh, manifest in the sacred timeline? We know it's the Tom Hiddleston Loki. So coming out female would be in and of itself a variance. Anyway, that's my take on it. Anyway, I think her idolizing the Valkyrie heroes with the toys may have been the issues. Uh, hence why they also vanished uh, in the reset. See the way I talked about this the other day, somebody else brought that up. I think there is a possibility. They may say her big variance was the fact that she wanted to be a hero. And that very well could be. It still doesn't explain the gender thing, but that very well could be. All right, next up, TV Avatar also writes, have you seen the new Spider-Man, um, the new Spider-Man No Way Home Pops? Uh, Pops, looks like he's going to be, looks like he's going to be in Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Strange, he's going to be Doctor Strange Jr. now. Also, you were right. I bought, I bought one pop last week as a cheap alternative to hot toys. Now I already got three and I can't help but looking for more dude. Listen, you can't see them now. The pops I have, but that's exactly how I started. Rob, I had no pops. All the guys, Dennis, Ray, fact checker, Jonathan at lunch would walk over to the mall. They go to hot topic and they'd always come back with two or three new pops. They were always buying pops. Right? And I said, nah, 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 I'm not going to get into that. And then one day Ray comes back. He says, Hey, I bought these for you. And there was a Sam and a Dean Winchester pops from Supernatural. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. And then the next time I'm in the mall with Ann and we see a couple of pops, I'm like, ooh, that's a Spider-Man one. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that one. I'll buy that one. It's 12 bucks. I'll buy that one. And then we're out again. It's like, ooh, look at that Aquaman one. And look at that Superman one. And look at that Stormtrooper. Yeah, okay, I'll buy those three. And then before you know it, I've literally got about 120 pops. Or more. I don't know. I've got boxes full of the damn things now. But it's just dangerous. And Rob, that's why I don't have any more than four hot toys. Because if I buy a fifth, <laughs> then by next month, I'm going to have 15. <laughs> so it is it is dangerously addictive because, dude, look at those shelves behind you. As soon as my <laughs> shelves start looking like yours, I would get obsessed. Oh, and these I, are just these are random straggler figures. They're not even hot toys. Oh, yeah, they're just the other one six scale ones. Yeah, they're just, I, I mean, I must have, I probably have 200 non Hot Toys six scale figures. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Bucky in, in, the, uh, in the live chat is asking, do you have a Deacon Frost one? Do you have a Deacon <laughs> Frost one? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, no, nor do I, actually, nor do I. All right, next up. Um, okay, boom, boom, boom. Where are we? That was uh, TV Avatar. Now we go up to Always Sketchy who tips in like $20. Thank you, Always Sketchy, for supporting our channel on that level. And Always Sketchy writes, 
could the world everyone is getting pruned to be battle world it, it, or or a proximity of it something like it maybe it's described as patchwork planet promos show all types of ruins that seem to be on the same planet pirate ship avengers tower spaceship making the beyonder the big bad battle world continued if it's battle world that would start setting up secret wars yeah, I don't think that's what they're doing, which we know is coming soon. Plus, Kang is coming via the Quantum Realm, hence Quantumania. So if the TVA isn't in Chronopolis, probably not Kang too obvious. Well, see, here's the thing, too. Always sketchy. By the way, again, always sketchy. Thank you so much for supporting our channel on that level. I don't think they're going to say it's Battle World again, because, Rob, I don't know what you think about this. I said it a second ago, but I just don't see Kevin Feige making something so significant that you must know in order to watch a later movie means you have to have Disney Plus and you have to have seen that show. That is just not something he's ever done before, and I don't think he's doing it here. Also, don't forget, even they're doing, even though they're doing a Secret Wars, don't expect it to be just like the comics. Just like Civil War wasn't really like the comics and whatever. They're going to take some thematic similarities and move it over. So I, I get where you go. I like your thinking on that always sketching, thinking about Battle World. You're trying to think in these orbits, and I like that. But I personally don't think it's that. I, I think it's going to be something that's very specific to the Loki show and the TVA and things like that. I don't see it being a larger scale issue. I don't know, Rob. I mean, it's an interesting proposition he brings up. What do you think of that? Uh, I mean... It, 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 you could do this, but it that's a big ask. I mean, look, they are they have announced that they're going to do a Secret Wars series. And, you know, part of that idea in the comics, the new Secret Wars, is that there are all kinds of different iterations of the same characters fighting. Are they doing that? I don't know. But, man, there's a lot of continuity that they're going to open up doing something like this. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious. We're going to know tonight. I'm really curious to see where they're taking all of this and how is it going to end in two episodes? Yeah. That's the other thing. I get, it's still weird to think about. There's only two episodes left of this. Damn thing. I mean, it's yeah, crazy. I mean all these variants and all like I, I ultimately something the, the status quo has to change. I would imagine like, where is our main Tom Hiddleston Loki going to wind up at the end of these two episodes? I mean, in the in the proper MCU timeline, Loki is dead. He was killed by Thanos. And if he's going to reemerge on the uh, playing field, it's going to be really interesting to see how they do that. Or maybe he's not. Maybe he's going to be waiting to come back during Secret Wars. I don't know. All right, we move on here. Uh, this one, next one comes to us from Russell Amador, who writes, Hey, John, this weekend is not a big one in terms of theatrical releases. That's the weekend that just hit. But Netflix and HBO Max are here to fill the void. Will you be tuning into Fear Street and No Sudden Move? Both are solid, and I can't wait to watch both this weekend. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no interest in Netflix's uh, Fear Street. It's an interesting thing they're doing. Rob, I don't know if you've seen what they're doing with this. So Fear Street, yeah. they're doing three movies that are connected, one each week, and they go into a different time period each to tell one big story. It's a very interesting approach, but I'm not going to lie to you. I watched a trailer and nothing about it really appealed to me. Now, no sudden move on HBO, that's different. 
That looks like a, a it looks like a Guy Ritchie crime thriller to me. That's yeah, how it Steven kind of feels Soderberg, like. Soderbergh, man. Well, you got Soderbergh. I I think Benicio del Toro's in it. John Hamm is in it. Brendan Fraser's in it. David Harbour's in it. Uh, Don Cheadle is in it. It's just it just looks really cool and looks very very interesting. So that one now, of course, this weekend we're all very busy with family and friends doing things. So I I didn't watch. Um, no sudden move, but I am going to watch it because I'm actually pretty damn excited about it. Rob, are you excited about either of these uh, projects? Dude, the I mean, with the cast of the Fear Street, I would I would watch. I would get around to watching it just to check it out. I think it's an interesting concept. It's based on uh, R.L. Stein books, is yeah, it not? Okay. And doing it, yeah, in R, doing it R-rated. But I have to say, I really am stoked about the new Soderbergh movie. It looks incredible. I've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, next up, the Sock writes one of two to be fair to Sylvia about burning those hunters. They've made her her a fugitive and have been terrorizing her since she was a child. I don't know if I would have been if I would have done the same, but I can't really blame her either. And I know they were following orders, but while this is a cliche answer, Nazis were also just following orders. Wouldn't somebody have banded together thinking, "Man, this is a pretty effed up. This is pretty effed up." After hearing about that, or after something trivial like. Uh, something trivial like the late to work scenario well no because remember all the agents of the tva believe in the sacred timeline it doesn't matter like nobody's mad at somebody for being late to work but if being late to work causes a nexus event that threatens all of reality then they got to do what they got to do i mean that it's not about whether you think it's a good idea or not if they believe that that person is a variant causing a nexus event that could lead to a multi-dimensional, multi-universal war that will end all of existence. Then it doesn't matter. You got to do what you got to do. So, yeah, it's not just just following orders. It's also completely believing that if we don't do this, all of reality could cease to exist and it would cost trillions of lives. Like what Thanos did? Nothing. That's nothing. He only wiped out half of life in the universe. We're talking about all of existence being wiped out. At least that's what the TVA agents believe. And so they're going to do what they feel they need to do to protect all living creatures in the universe. So that's just something you got to think about and keep in mind when you're thinking about their particular frame of mind. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, Ben Rayner writes, uh, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Ben, for supporting us on that level, man. Uh, ben writes in, hey, John, I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you. With Sif popping up in Loki this week, it reminded me of a report that Deadline put out, and you even reported on it back in December 14th, December 14th 2020. Jamie is back in Thor 4. I think it was a subtle reminder uh, that was still around in the MCU. Yeah, so somebody reminded me of that. Now, you got to understand, Rob, on this show, between the, the main topics and all the issues people write in about during the, uh, during the live chats, we probably cover anywhere between 30 and 50 topics a day every day five days a week four weeks a month 12 months a year and so we have literally done thousands of topics since then so i was mentioning man i was mentioning in the, in the thor or in the loki discussion i said man i'd like to believe that seeing jamie alexander back as lady sith in loki means that maybe we'll see her in thor in thor love and thunder but you know i haven't heard anything about that and then i had a bunch of people reminding me john you talked about it in december that she was coming back and i totally forgotten about that but it is it is great to see that yes she is coming back and i'm very very excited about that all right next up we've got wes mauer and wes mauer writes 
One of two. Hey, John, just wanted to say how cool it is it was to see Jamie Alexander pop up as Lady Sif again, but also want to say she posted quite a few pictures. Yeah, again, we just covered this. Uh, quite a few pictures in Australia at the same time. They were filming Thor Love and Thunder. She's also on the cast list on IMDb, so let's cross our fingers and hope she makes an appearance, and apparently it is official. She is going to be in it, so I'm very, very excited about that. Thanks for that, Wes. Next up, uh, Brandon Visconti writes, Hey, John, so I just watched Fear Street 1994 on Netflix, and I absolutely loved it. We still have two more movies coming this month uh, to complete a trilogy. Have you seen the movie yet? And what are your thoughts? Thanks, man. I I have not, Rob. I don't know. I just, you know my opinion of Netflix original movies. 98, 99% of the time, I find them to be complete garbage. And so, again, while I find this strategy of theirs, like putting out a trilogy of films one week after the next to complete one overall story, fascinating fascinating approach honestly i've never seen it done before but again the trailers just didn't inspire me to want to see it i don't know but you know if people keep saying good things about it i might have to check it out i know you said you're you want to see it right yeah what why wouldn't i sure sure why not but i I mean I, i like you you know i watched even stuff like the old guard which i enjoyed it was still i didn't love it you know i thought it was good you know, solid, but, but, but it, it is, I've, I've yet to see a net other than the queen's gambit, which I know it's not a movie. It's a series. I, I thought that was completely a list all the way. Um, I'm waiting to see more transcendent entertainment from Netflix. I think the stuff they're making is good, but not great. Yeah. Again, I just don't have a lot of faith in Netflix original films. And again, it just, the fear street thing, I just watched a trailer and it just didn't look like it was my cup of tea. That's all. But I know maybe it's great. I think the approach is really interesting. So I don't know if I hear from enough people that it's good, maybe I will check it out. And by the way, our friend, uh, I'm bored. 12, 13 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up we go to, uh, Smokey McPot tips in and tips in like $20. Thank you, man, for supporting our channel at that level. And he writes in one of two. Hey, John and Rob. So John, my favorite show of all time is of course, Battlestar Galactica. Good man. Uh, so say we all, but I've heard you say on a number of occasions, you weren't happy with the ending. I don't mind the ending, but I'm curious, uh, how you would have liked it to end. Thanks and keep up the good work. All right. Thanks a lot for the question. Smokey. And yes, love it. It's my all time favorite show, but I was not thrilled with the finale. How would I have wanted it to end? It's irrelevant. I I honestly don't go into movies or TV shows and think this is how you need to do it. And if you don't do it the way I want you to do it, then blah. No, I, I honestly try to never think about that stuff. All I want to do is see what the, the showrunners or the filmmakers, whatever kind of story I'm watching, to see what they have. What do they deliver? And, and it's not about doing what I want them to do at the end. No, I've seen so much fandom go absolutely crazy over that stuff because the the ending of this show or this movie didn't end the way they wanted it to end. I'm not, I don't do that. I used to do that and I just decided one day I got to stop doing this because I'm just ruining entertainment for myself. So I really don't, I really don't have an answer to that. I really don't. I just know that even though it is my favorite show of all time and I didn't hate the finale, Rob. I didn't hate the finale of Battlestar Galactica, but it also, you know, it's not like all good things, the ending of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I still think is the greatest finale to any TV series ever. Uh, even though it's not my all-time favorite TV series, I thought it was the greatest finale ever. But yeah, the ending to Battlestar Galactica just didn't click for me. What did you think? 
Oh, I I loved it. Cool. <laughs> I, I I loved Daybreak because you know one of the things that I I found really interesting about about Battlestar Galactica was it was not afraid to have a spiritual side. Yes. Where it it basically came out and said God whatever you believe in but call it a cosmic entity but let's just say God for the sake of argument. God was a character in Battlestar Galactica that you just didn't see but you saw their influence. I mean, you had Head 6 and Head Baltar and they were clearly agents of this whatever you want to call it and then Starbuck came back. I mean, she had her divine viper, you know, and she comes back and and there was divine intervention when at the very last minute she programs in the coordinates using all along the watchtower and finally takes them to our earth. And I I thought the moment, I have to tell you, man, that moment when she's talking to Apollo and she just disappears when they're on earth oh. on the, the grassy knoll. Dude, that I'm thinking about right now, that that was so ballsy for them as a science fiction action adventure show to just go and not provide an answer and not say, yeah, it was God. They leave it up to you to decide. Was that divine intervention? I thought that was so cool. And I, I, you know, first of all, up to when they get to Earth, they have one of the most epic, that apocalyptic battle when they go, go get the kid back. I mean, it was amazing. And if you watch it on Blu-ray, there's a longer version of it. I'm like... You get the best, best of both worlds. And the quiet ending, like when the president, when Rosalind passes away and Adama, I mean, Edward James almost just crushes it in those scenes. And then you cut to 150,000 years later. All of this has happened before and all of it will happen again when you you see Six and Baltar, you know, in the modern age watching videos in Times Square of robots. And then you hear Jimi Hendrix come in. I'm like, come on, man. This is the best. Dude, I I'm love telling this you what. So much. The, the season finale, that one season finale of Battlestar Galactica, where those Galactica crew members meet up in a room and all of them are hearing this tune in their head. And as Dude. you start to realize, that's all along the watchtower that's yeah. playing in their heads. And they all, that season finale, I've never seen another season finale. It made me go, ah! And I was just well, like how about freaking the out finale of season two when they go, they find the planet and then the Cylons show up and march into their colony. Yeah. Which then led to my favorite episode of television of all time. The second Exodus, when the Galactica jumps into atmosphere Dude. and it's coming down and vipers are launching as it's descending in the atmosphere. It's like my favorite episode of television of all time. Damn. I love that show. Oh, God, it's the best show ever made, in my opinion. I completely love that show. Anyway, sorry, we could talk about this all day. We should probably keep on moving. All right, uh, <laughs> next up, uh, the Sockrites, one of two. I hope to God it's not, but I think the Sleeping Dogs movie may be dead. It's one of my favorite games ever. It's essentially uh, Grand Theft Auto, but in Hong Kong, and you're an undercover cop, and you can do kung fu. What I found odd is that Donnie Yen was cast as... Uh, as was cast as who's in his late 20s, uh, early 30s in the game. So unless they're planning on doing an older uh, way, then it would work because then it wouldn't work because Donnie Yen is 57. Yeah, but you you can you can have a different age character and that's okay. Rob, you and I actually know the guy who was going to be producing this movie. And I have not heard them talk about it in a while. Me so 
I don't know if this is actually still happening. So, Sock, all I can say is I have not heard of any movement on this, and I know the individual who is going to be producing it, and I haven't heard any speaking about it. Rob, do you know anything more about this this movie or any project? Because I haven't heard anything about it in a long I, time. I don't. I really don't know. But that doesn't mean anything. You know, projects, sometimes they take a long time. That's true. It's true. All right, next up, we've got uh, Spencer S., who writes, one of two. Everyone thinks that Loki was sent to a post-apocalyptic New York, but I don't think that's New York. I think it's a place where all pruned variants and items go. Well, I think that's what everybody's saying. I think everybody is saying that. Uh, Think about this. If a variant destroys Avengers Tower when the TVA prunes the timeline, uh, Avengers Tower will need to be replaced back to its original state so that the destroyed tower must go somewhere as well. I think this place is like Sakaar, just a garbage planet for all the variants and items that the TVA prunes from the sacred timeline. No, I and I think, Spencer, I think you're right, basically, I, with some variations, but I, I think you're basically right. But that's what I think most people are saying. I think most people that I'm hearing from anyway are believing that that place that he woke up, although it's hard to define, to to you know, have any really clear set theory about what it is when the fact is it was only like a 15 second post credit scene. But I think a lot of people believe that is a specific limbo that Loki variants go. Not all variants, but Loki variants. So if that's true, now listen, today is, of course, game day. So it's on a little bit later tonight. I'll be watching it at midnight tonight. I'm sure most of you guys will as well. Uh, And we will find out more. But I think that is what a lot of people's main theories has kind of been circling around Spencer. So I think you're right. But I think most people have been thinking that. All right. Next up, Boris writes, just saw a picture on Facebook that said the Fast and Furious crew might as well just fight the Avengers at this point. I watched it last week. And wow, what a shit show. Uh, When she pulled the building down or he pulled the building down, someone yelled, fuck off. And everybody lost it and started laughing. Yeah, listen, man, I've listen, I've already expressed uh, my opinion on Fast 9. You all know what I think, so I'm not going to harp on it anymore. Uh, if you like it, that's awesome. I hope you do. So I'm not going to... I've already expressed the fact that I don't. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why I don't again because I don't want to yuck on anybody's yum. You guys now know my thoughts, so I'm not going to harp on it. But um, but yeah, that moment in particular for me is one that really stood out. I'm not going to lie to you. That one really stood out to me. But again, there are people who are enjoying it, and that's great. All right, next up. Um, Chuck, the mystery writes, Hey John, and maybe Rob, uh, being that Shazam is your second favorite DCEU film. And I know how excited you are for the sequel over under 30% that black Adam makes at least a cameo in Shazam two, and over under 30% that Shazam appears in black Adam. I'm going to go well under that Shazam appears in black Adam, Rob. But when you understand that black Adam already kind of made a cameo in the first Shazam movie, when they were looking at the history, remember that part? And they, they kind of, they, that one kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, particle thing came together and it looked like Black Adam when they started talking about their old champion that betrayed them. When you say a cameo, would you consider that a cameo? If you consider that a cameo in the first Shazam, then I would say over 30%. That at very minimum, we get a cameo of Black Adam in Shazam 2, but I will go under 30% that we get a Shazam cameo in Black Adam because I believe most of that movie happens in the past. From everything I've read and everything I've seen about it, I think that movie happens in the past. I don't know, Rob. Over under 30% that Black Adam cameos in Shazam 2, over under 30% oh. that Shazam appears in Black Adam. I think they're going to appear each. I think Shazam's going to be in Black Adam too at some point, maybe a post-credit scene, and I think Black Adam's going to also be in Shazam. 
So you're going to take over on both? Yes. All right. I will take the over on Black Adam cameoing. I will take under uh, of Shazam cameoing in Black Adam. All right. Next up, we've got, uh, that was Chuck the Mystery. This is Hardcore Curtsy writes. I like that name. One of two. Hi, Gio. By the way, Gio is G-I-O, as in Giovanni. So it's not Gio as in National Geographic. Just, just so you know, Gio is G-I-O. Or, or Gio, the character from the High Republic. Oh, yeah, there's that as well. Uh, <laughs> but it is G-O-G-I-O, short form for my real name, Giovanni. Okay, anyway. Hi, Gio. What's shaking? In my opinion, Sylvie was born male. Early in Loki's magic lessons, he decided he wanted to be more like Frigga than Odin. Being a boy didn't feel right, and Frigga helped uh, turn Loki into a girl and remained renamed her new daughter Sylvie. That was the Nexus event. I can buy that. I can buy that. Uh, <clears throat> could have happened an hour before the TVA arrived, yes. That is why she resents being called Loki. Uh, it's uh, dead naming her and disrespecting the last thing her mom ever gave up. The name Sylvie. Love you, long time, happy camper. Well, thanks for that, Hardcore. So, Rob, listen, I, I see there being two possibilities of what was the big Nexus event that caused Sylvie to be taken in by the TVA at the first place. We have discussed it before, but, you know, Hardcore Cursey just brought it up again. The idea that at some point, this Loki was just like the Sacred Timelines Loki, Tom Hiddleston's Loki, but decided, having the ability to do it, to become female, to be more like the Valkyrie than Odin. And then that in itself became the Nexus. I think that is a strong possibility. I also think the other one that was brought up earlier that... It was this Loki's desire to be a hero and to help people. I know that could also be the Nexus event. I, I kind of think it's one of those two. Rob, what do you think the chances are it's one of those two, or do you think it's something else completely? I think it's probably something else. Um, I, I don't yet know what it might be. But, you know, the funny thing about this whole gender fluid business, Loki is a shapeshifter. Yep. And I think that that even in Norse mythology, in real Norse mythology, the fact that that it, I mean, people are trying to make it into some kind of a woke issue or something like that. But I don't think that's what it is at all. I think I think Loki is taken on the guise of whatever he needs to as a trickster, as the god of mischief. I mean, if you wanted to show up as a woman to tempt a guy into doing something wrong, I mean, he flat out says that's what he's done in the past. I mean, Loki Loki is not constrained by an earthling sense of gender fluidity or sexuality or anything like that. He's from a different universe or uh, well, not he's not from Midgard and the that we impose our own values upon him is always kind of silly to me because he's a god. He's a much different creature and if you look back into our own mythologies, it's not like a lot of these gods adhered to gender norms. You know, Zeus would come back to earth and take the form of whatever he needed to to get whatever he wanted. I'm sure Loki does the same stuff. So it's so funny that everybody gets, like, he's gender fluid because he's turned into women in the past to do his whatever his shenanigans he was trying to pull. Uh, I agree. All right, let's do one more with Rob still here because we've taken him a little bit over time. But this one comes to us from a man nicknamed Pooh Bear who writes, uh, good morning, John and Rob. Tomorrow marks, this was, of course, the other day, the 25th anniversary of Independence Day. Uh, ID4 Independence Day, another one of those great movie-going experience I had, like with The Nutty Professor. The summer of 69 were filled with great films. What was your guys' favorite summer? Well, listen, I, I, don't, I don't know. 
I I do not keep I'm not a movie dates guy. I can't tell you like other than the Star Wars films, I can't tell you what year movies came out. I couldn't you say, "Hey John, what was your five favorite movies of the summer of 1991?" I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no clue. Like if Scott Mance were on this show, he could tell you, no problem, and I have a feeling Robert can tell you that. So I will defer this question to you, Rob. As you look back, what was your favorite summer of movies? John, it has to be the summer of 1982, full stop. Because over the course of two months, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Conan the Barbarian, Rocky Three, Star Trek II, Poltergeist, Blade Runner, The Road Warrior, Tron, John Carpenter's The Thing. I mean, these all came out within a two-month period of time. I mean, they're all, it was like one every week, E.T., I forgot E.T. I mean, these were, these were incredible. Star Trek II and Poltergeist open on the same day. Blade Runner and The Thing open on the same day, and E.T. opened between them. I mean, every time I went to the theater, your mind was getting blown. And even things like The Road Warrior, which had already been released uh, around the world, also arrived on American shores from Warner Brothers in, in, in that summer, came out, I think it came out the end of May. I mean, it was mind-blowing. That summer was mind-blowing, and all those movies became... I mean, even things that weren't mind-blowing, like Clint Eastwood's Firefox. I still love that, too. You, know? you must Future. think in Russian. Think Russian. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, That was the summer, man, and it was the summer where nothing... The word suck never uttered... I never uttered that word ever. I was just mind-blown. And, Rob, of course, you're leaving out the best one. Megaforce. Oh yeah, I did leave that out. You you forgot Megaforce. That came out too, and I even had that poster on my wall. Deeds, not words. I mean, that was the one movie. I'm sorry. I I'm. I had to remind me, but I did say suck once regarding Megaforce. Boo! Boo to you, sir. Everybody, boo this man. Megaforce. Life is a wheel, Rob. It all comes around. Deeds, not words, indeed. Anyway, Rob, always good guys uh, win. Uh, good guys always win, even, even in, in the eighties. <laughs> Rob, fine words to end on here today. Thanks so much again. You're awesome. Uh, thanks for bringing your glory and goods to the show. We'll see you again tomorrow. But in the meantime, where can people follow you and your greatness online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, great as always, and I will talk to you again later, my man. Have a good one. All right. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. I can take these headphones off now. Uh, let's keep on going, guys. We still have some time. We got more of your questions to get to, so let's keep right on rolling here. Next up comes to us from Andy Anthony, who writes, Hey, I just started uh, started Star Wars, The Rising Storm from the High Republic series. So far, it's great, but my favorite book so far was The Light of the Jedi. Have you been able to read any of the High Republic books? Thanks uh, for all that you do. I got into the first one, and I finished the first one. I got it on, on, on uh, Audible. Because I have like 15 Audible credits sitting around waiting for me to use. So I got Audible and I, I got I, I listened to the first one. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. But I didn't mind it, but I didn't feel motivated. Listen, there's a lot of Star Wars novels I don't like. Like certainly a lot from the expanded universe era. I'm sorry, I know this rubs people the wrong way, but most of the books in the expansion era, in the expanded universe era, most of them were garbage. And they knew it, like Lucasfilm knew it. And then in the new modern era, the Disney-owned era, I think a lot of them have been bad, but there have been a lot of good ones too. Obviously, Lords of the Sith, uh, Sith 
um, is like one of my favorites. The Tarkin book I think is great. The um, Thrawn books have been pretty solid. Um, uh, Lost Stars is fantastic. That's a really good one. Uh, but yeah, Lords of the Sith was incredibly good. So there are a number of good ones in the, in the modern era. But yeah, the High Republic one, Again, fabulous production. The production value on the audiobooks of all the Star Wars audiobooks are always top-notch, and, and it was fine, and I liked it, I didn't mind it, but I never felt at all motivated to go forward and, and listen to more. So that's just kind of me on that. All right, next up. Uh, Alex Detman writes, I watched Loki uh, last night, and I have interesting theory that the, TV, uh, that the TVA is why we might be seeing the villains from other timelines in Spidey No Way Home showing up as variants. Now, I really don't think that's true at all. I, I don't think that, because that would require that everybody, number one, has a Disney Plus subscription, which not everybody does, and number two, watches Loki, which not everybody does. I don't see them bringing variants into that. But anyway, uh, why we might be seeing uh, the villains from other timelines in Spidey No Way Home showing up as variants plucked from their timelines and placed in Tom Holland's. Um, it also goes with the idea... Uh, that Kang could be behind the whole different timelines by bringing more formidable villains from multiverses to eliminate the remaining Avengers. For example, in Wakanda forever, maybe Killmonger is Black Panther in the new multiverse, leaving him. Um, oh, th three of three, un unopposed by anyone other than uh, uh, Umbaka. Do you mean Mbaku? Anyway, uh, what I'm saying is I feel there is more to this whole uh, what-if timeline that may play a bigger role than we thought. I'm just theorizing. Let me know your thoughts, or am I not getting this whole premise? No, I don't think I don't think the problem is that you're not getting the premise. I think you're using your imagination. I think you're trying to think in orbit kind of mentalities, which is always fun and creative and good, and I like the way you're thinking. I, I don't agree with it. I don't think they're going to do that. I really think that the whole... TVA thing for the most part is going to be limited to the Loki show. Just like a lot of things that happen in WandaVision are isolated to the WandaVision show, the Captain America Civil War or uh, Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be mostly isolated there. And I think this whole thing about variants stuff, I don't think we're going to start seeing variants running across all the, uh, all the MCU. I really don't think they're going to do that. Now, again, I don't know they're not going to do that. Kevin Feige has not called me and say, hey, Campia, just so you know, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to have any variants popping up in any other MCU things. So I don't know. This is just me as a fan theorizing like you're theorizing. So let's keep an eye on it and see it unfolds. Alex, thanks for sharing your theory, man. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, we got an anonymous viewer who writes, hey, John and Rob just missed Robbed. Watch again. One of my guilty pleasures, 1994, The Shadow. The Shadow knows. I love that movie. Alec Baldwin, Ian McKellen. Love that movie. Uh, anyway, would a remake work today? I think so, yes. One of my favorite superheroes and major influence for Batman uh, has been around a long time, started as a radio serial. Thanks. Yeah, listen, I loved it. I, I loved uh, that. And you got to remember, when that movie came out, there was a thing in it that is laughable by today's standards. But remember the knife? For you guys who saw... Uh, the shadow. Do you remember the knife, the living knife that would fly around? I mean, by today's standards, it's totally laughable. But at that time, when that came out, that was like one of the most impressive visual effects I had ever seen in my life. I'd never seen anything like it. It was absolutely crazy. But um, I do think 
how do I put this? They would have to glamorize it a little bit more because really, even looking back on it, really the only thing that he would do when he would become the shadow is his nose would get bigger. I mean, really, that's all it was. But I love the shadow. I loved Alec Baldwin with that. Kim Bass. I believe it was Kim Basinger in that, I think. No, no, no. It wasn't Kim Basinger. Who was, who was that in the shadow with him? I can't remember. The one who played Ian McKellen's daughter in it. Anyway, I loved it. I thought it was great. And uh, I would totally be down for them to remake that. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Wiley Todd who writes, uh, where'd we go? There it is. Hey, John, I just rewatched. I love you, man. Oh, that movie's great. Uh, with Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel, and it holds up really good. And I forgot how much I love this movie. Uh, but my question is what rom-coms do you enjoy that came out in the two thousands? Again, I'm not a date guy. I'm not really a date guy. Um, some that come to mind. I like, I mean, obviously there's the king of all of them, which is 40 year old virgin. I think that I think 40 year old virgin is the greatest comedy of all time, period. I think it is the best comedy ever made. Um, the proposal with, uh, uh, with Ryan Reynolds and, um, why am I, um, I keep freezing on speed girl, the girl from speed, Sandra Bullock. The proposal, and by the way, Betty White's in that too. The proposal is freaking awesome. Um, Hitch, definitely maybe another Ryan Reynolds one is good. I mean, I, I I don't sit around with lists off the top of my head, so I can't really do that. But those are a bunch of the ones that I really, really do like, like quite a bit. Okay, let's move on here. Next up, we've got, uh, and by the way, I Love You Man is fantastic. Fantastic movie. Slap it to bass. I love that movie. Ann and I actually watched it again. And by the way, Rashida Jones is in that as well. You got small parts by guys like uh, Aziz Ansari is in there too. The whole thing about like any movie that is basically revolves around two guys' love for the great Canadian band Rush. That's pretty good. Lou Ferrigno is hilarious in it. That movie's great. I, I, I think... I think I love you, man. It's great. Anyway, uh, let's see. Wiley Todd also writes, Hey, John, I'm a massive music and movies fan, meaning soundtracks that are created from the director slash music supervisors. Some of my favorites are The Color of Money and recently Bumblebee. What are some of your favorite movie soundtracks? Well, that comes up once in a while. Always the same answer for me. And I know it sounds stereotypical, but it's true. Obviously, Star Wars music, particularly the soundtrack from and the score from Empire Strikes Back. That's, of course, where the iconic Imperial March comes from. But also uh, Shore's um, uh, Lord of the Rings movies by Shore. The music in the Lord of the Rings movies, to this day, I can just hear the first few notes of a piece of score from Lord of the Rings and my imagination immediately whisks me away to Middle-earth and to the Shire. That's the sign that a certain piece of music was perfect for that movie. So yeah, that's, that's the one that really works for me a lot. All right. Thanks for that. Wiley Todd. Next up DJ Taterskins writes great points on pictures, uh, on pictures from the oppressor's point of view. That of course was brought up the other day that we were talking about that and someone realizing the wrongs that are happening. Ever see the movie Candace or cadence with Charlie and Martin Sheen. That's an older one. Also Larry Fishburne is in it. Yep. Such a powerful film with a great moral. I, I don't believe I ever saw cadence unless i'm forgetting about it let me pull it up here um unless i'm forgetting about it i do not recall actually watching that movie so let me see if i can find it here why did that not come up properly let me try this again okay if it's the one i'm thinking of yeah it's the old one it was directed that's right it was also directed by martin sheen as well he directed that it you know what 
I'm thinking maybe I did see it and I just don't remember it at all. Like this movie is now over 30 years old, but I, 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 I want to say I didn't see it say uh, that I didn't see it, but I'm thinking that might be a lie. Maybe I did. And I'm just not remembering it at all. Cause I certainly remember the poster for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. There's the, uh, there's the poster there, but I cannot remember. It doesn't have a great, uh, audience score, but that doesn't usually mean much, but can't recall, man. I can't recall, but thanks for bringing that up. All right. Next up, we go to Diego who writes, Friends and I have gone to all the MCU premieres together since 2012. That is an awesome tradition to have, man. I know Black Widow isn't going to be a 10 out of 10, but I'm more excited to get back into a theater seat and see a new MCU film for the first time in almost two years. Super stoked for this movie. And listen, there is fun to be had. Again, listen, I I want you to manage your expectations. To me, look, there's going to be some people who think this is a perfect movie and love it, love it, love it, love it. That's great. I'm just saying for me... It is a good movie. David Harbour is fantastic in it. Uh, the girls are great in it. I, again, to me, though, it it's tempered a bit, and it's not top-shelf MCU because of the fact that I, I think the villains were kind of a waste, to be honest. I think everything other than the villains... This is a really good movie, but the, the poor execution of the villains, to me, brings it down a couple of notches. Still, overall... I enjoyed it very much. I will watch it again as soon as I have the opportunity to watch it again. And I hope you guys have a great time when you go to see it. All right, next up. Um, Tony Rodriguez writes, Oh my God, John, let's hope it's not a robotic scorpion. Remember the rhino? Okay, but okay, let's, we'll get into this in a second here. Let me finish, uh, let me finish reading the question here. I remember the rhino. That was horrible. Hopefully scorpion is like the lizard was silver samurai was a robot and Wolverine seems to be their answer when they can't figure out how to do a character live. That's not true at all. Sometimes they just think that's a creative answer. Now, listen, the problem now, of course, this is coming from the last show that we did. I think it was on Friday. We talked about the fact that the new images, the Lego images came out showing like there's a scorpion character in Spider-Man No Way Home, but it looked robotic. It looked like it was robotic. Now you bring up, remember Rhino? Here's the thing. There is not one problem with the Rhino that had to do with it being a robotic suit. That wasn't the problem at all. The problem with Rhino was that it was Paul Giamatti, who is a fantastic actor. Paul Giamatti is a fantastic actor. But the problem with Rhino wasn't the robotic suit. The problem with Rhino was the character was stupid. Oh, yes, Spider-Man, I will get you now with my Russian gun. Yes, like it was just an idiotic, stupid character. It was a badly written character before you ever saw him in a Rhino robotic suit. So I I would contend if we loved the character... And we thought that Paul Giamatto character was fantastic. Then him jumping in this rhino robotic suit at the end to take on and, and beat up Spider-Man. I think we would have found that great, but the character was bad. It, it, I contend it had nothing to do with the fact that it was a robotic suit. But anyway, that's just my thing. Yeah, I will shoot you now, Spider-Man. Oh, my Russian pants have been pu- pulled down. Oh, look at me with my pants down. It was so bad. So bad. Anyway, had nothing to do with the suit, in my opinion, at any rate. All right, next up. Uh, BK Dan writes, 
John, I too saw Tomorrow War. I just needed to point out that their time-traveling mechanic, uh, where both sides move, was also done in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 from 1993. I don't remember that. I honestly don't remember that. Tomorrow War impressed me. I did not have a lot of high hopes for that movie. I thought it looked like Amazon was trying to hide it. It's an enjoyable film. You know what? I watched it again this weekend because we had family over for um, for Fourth uh, of July, and so as we were like after we had barbecued and ate everything, you know, we we're, were waiting for the sun to go down for fireworks to stop because from my backyard you can see the whole city. Because my backyard is kind of elevated over a golf course, and then you just see all the mountains and the towns, and we could see like four or five different fireworks displays going off from our backyard. But as we were waiting for that, you know, Ray said, decided to pop on a movie, and he popped on Tomorrow War. And I watched it again. I'm like, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Tomorrow War is actually pretty damn good. I still don't think it's a great movie, but... Way better than I thought it would be. And I really love J.K. Simmons in it. Chris Pratt delivers as always. I love Yvonne Strahovski. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right. Next up. Um, by the way, B.K. Dan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, B.K. Appreciate that, dude. Uh, Anonymous writes, Imagine if Marvel had turned Thor or Thanos into a jobber just so they could make Captain Marvel look cool. I am glad they didn't do that. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, Thanos took out Captain Marvel. I don't think they actually had Thor and Captain Marvel never fought. So I'm glad they didn't have, you know, Thor job for anybody. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that would have been, that would have been bad. I hate it when they make other people job to others for that. I don't mind like some people getting the upper hand and fights happen. That's going to happen. I mean, someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose, but it would have been pretty infuriating if they had done that. And I'm glad they didn't. All right. Barley bunny writes, Hey, JC. While listening to your Loki 4, uh, episode 4 spoiler uh, podcast, part 2, it gave me an idea of how to make Fast 9 more palatable. Oh boy, here we go. Pretend it's a comic book movie now. No one stays dead and laws of the universe don't exist. Now, it now goes up 20% in my mind, bring on the filthy. No, because even comic book movies do it better. Even comic book movies do it better than the Fast and the Furious does. If Captain America gets shot, guess what happens? He ends up in the hospital. That happens in the movies. Captain America gets shot. He has to go to the hospital for a while. Even with super healing powers, he still ends up in the hospital. And by the way, the Everything Nerd sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Everything Nerd. Uh, Speaking about Thanos, right? If Dominic Toretto was fighting Thanos, Dominic Toretto would have choke slammed Thanos to the ground, ripped his glove off and refuse to use it and say why don't you use the infinity gauntlet dom and dom would say you don't need a gauntlet when you've got family and then he would have continued to beat up thanos and that would have been it but what did what did the comic book movie do hulk fights thanos and hulk gets put down so even comic book movies are more grounded and realistic by 10 times then the fantastic, then the uh, Fast and the Furious. I was going to say the Fantastic and the Furious. I was crossing over Fast and Furious and Fantastic Four. Even comic book movies are more realistic than your movies. That's ridiculous. So no, even if you try to think of Fast and Furious as a comic book movie, it gets even more ridiculous because even comic book movies are more realistic. That's that's sad. That's sad. That says something. Anyway, thanks for that, uh, Barley. Next up. Um, 
Barley Bunny also writes, hey, John, uh, you bring up Sylvie burning a field of Minutemen often. What makes you think that was Sylvie? That's interesting. Whoever it was was cloaked. Maybe someone was framing her uh, to move her up the wanted list. Maybe it was Ravona. Just an idea. Bring on the filthy. You know what? You know what? That's not a bad theory. I'm Listen, I'm not saying I'm buying into it. But this theory about what if Ravona was also running around doing horrible things just to make Sylvie look worse. What if that one monstrous thing Sylvie did, burning those Minutemen alive as their flesh burned and they screamed in pain and agony for minutes before finally mercifully dying, what if that wasn't Sylvie that did that? You know what, Bar- again, I don't, I'm not saying I buy the theory, but I like that theory. That's a good theory, dude. Let's keep our eyes on that. I think that's great. Good thinking on that. All right, next up. Sloth is legend writes. I like that name. Hey, John, I listened to you tell Rob about the tomorrow war and I decided to watch it for myself. I had no idea it was out. I got to say I expected it to be atrocious. So did I, but it's really not bad. It's a really solid, pretty good. In my opinion, aside from the inevitable logic flaws. Yeah, there are some logic flaws in it, but again, some of their storytelling mechanics were pretty good. Uh, the way the movie resolves at the end was really good. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers away. I thought the performances were pretty good. I like the characters. Yeah, man. I, I had a good time with it. I really did. I, I enjoyed that movie way more than I thought I would. And by the way, our friend Kevin Bloom sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, we've got a uh, willow who writes, Wow. All this time, you didn't know Haagen-Dazs comes in boxes of three. Uh, my mom and I both uh, both separately bought ice cream bars during the recent heat wave in Vancouver, and I got upset after she opened and ate one of my boxes. Haagen-Dazs is tearing families apart. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, on my channel, Ann and I recorded a little vlog about a box of Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars almost ruining our marriage. Uh, and, and it all came down to, when you, listen, am I crazy when you buy a box of Haagen-Dazs bar, you expect there to be an even number in there, don't you? So Ann and I thought there would be like four ice cream bars in it. In Haagen-Dazs' defense, it clearly says on the bottom corner of the box, three bars. But we just assumed there was four. So Ann and I both had one. And then when I went the next day to the box, I saw there was one left. So I assumed she had had the third one and I was going to have the last one, the fourth. So we each had two. But there were only three boxes. So she went to get another ice cream bar and saw it was all gone. So she thought I ate three of them and she only got to have one. Nearly ended our marriage. So damn you, Hagen. Come on. Three bars in a box. Give me a break. Give me a break. They got to fix that. All right. Anyway, thanks for that, Willow. And no, we didn't know. All right. Next up, Ishmael Montoya writes, "Uh, Hey, John, hear me out. What if Kang is the villain in the post-credit uh, post-credit New York scene? Maybe he was strong enough to destroy New York and he killed the Avengers of that timeline. It seems that the Loki variants were worried about... Um, sorry. Ismael did not have his second part ready. And I don't see... I don't see... A second part. So uh, sorry about that, Ismail. I'm just going to move on from that. All right, next up. Some old guy in Hawaii writes, Concerning Loki episode four, Lady Sif reiter- reiterated that Loki was alone and would always be alone. 
if he and Sylvie actually get together, does that make Lady Sif's pronouncement true or false or both? Because really, it's just Loki hanging out with himself. Again, the most elaborate form of masturbation you can possibly have in the universe. Uh, but I, I never really thought of that, some old guy in Hawaii. That's actually very profound thinking. If he ends up with Sylvie, he truly is ending up with himself. Therefore, he is technically alone because he's only got himself for company. Interesting way of thinking. All right. Our last question of the day comes to us from Ready Teddy Seti, who writes, Hey, John, I'm excited about the upcoming Flash movie. Most of the trending conversations have been about Keaton's return as Batman, but isn't Affleck also returning as Batman? I'm curious if well, we'll see these two versions share a screen together. Are you? Yeah, listen, I what I think is clear now is that Ben Affleck's appearance is going to be small. Now, to be fair, I used to think Michael Keaton's appearance was going to be small too, but then, of course, we talked a couple of weeks ago when I had somebody at Warner Brothers contact me and say, uh, Michael Keaton's in a lot of it. He's actually in it as much as Sean Connery was in, um, in the Indiana Jones movie he was in. That's a lot. And then that artwork came out the other day that we talked about on the show, and in almost every piece of artwork that came out, Michael Keaton's Batman was in it. So what does that mean about Ben Affleck's Batman? Well, there have been no sightings of him on set. Uh, nothing out of the concept art has shown him in it. So I still believe he's going to appear in it, but it's only, I think it's only going to be a small thing. I, again, we're not going to see him back as Batman again. I think this is a, a last hurrah sort of thing. I'm not expecting it to be really big or very good or, or significant, I should say, but you never know. We'll have to wait and see. All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come from Jerome, Anonymous, uh, Brian Yeager, IMAV, and others. Uh, do not worry, guys. On to, now, I would do a companion video today, but of course, today is game day. So we're a little bit later at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We are going to have our Loki pregame show to talk about all the things we're expecting and theorizing to see out of Loki tonight at midnight. That'll be at 4 o'clock Los Angeles time today. You figure out whatever that means in your time zone. So I'm not going to have time to do a companion video. So tomorrow, we will pick right up with the next question uh, on tomorrow's show. And then if we still aren't caught up by then, then we'll do a companion video as well. So if you haven't seen your question read yet, hang in there. It's coming up. All right, guys, that will do it for me. For this installment of the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for being here and being a part of this show. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend some time here with us. It is an awesome honor by this Canadian nobody that you would come here and hang out with us. It's, it really is truly an honor, so thank you for that. Special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. And a very special thank you to all you guys who submitted these live comments and questions. Number one because it gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Of course, guys, as always, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of others. And don't forget to be good and leave out some cookies for good old Santy Dorf in case he comes down your chimney and describes your house as being an embarrassment and your offering of milk and cookies to him as being an embarrassment. You don't want that to happen because you don't want to be in Santy Dorf shit books, everybody. Anyway, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.